So this morning we are looking at Romans 6, 1 through 11, uh, Paul's letter to uh, the church in Rome, Romans 6, 1 through 11. Uh, you can follow along on the screen right there, uh, or if you've got it with you, uh, that's cool too. But before we do that, uh, let's pray. God, we're, we're grateful again to, to have this time together where where we can gather together as a community and remind ourselves that we belong to you. To remind ourselves that we are your people. To gather together and, and open, this, open this book that we love so dearly. And trust that, that you, Spirit, will speak to us. And so we pray now in these next few moments that you would open us up in all of the ways that we need opening so that we can hear your word, so that, so that your word, which we know is creative and generative and transformative, that, that, it would, that it would change us again here in these next few moments. So speak to us, for your servants are listening. Amen. So Romans 6, 1 through 11. Listen to these words. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sitting so that, so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We'll go that far. Sometimes when I read Paul, um, it's hard. Right? Sometimes Paul is a little bit more difficult than say a say a story out of the gospels or any narrative really um and so sometimes i struggle with with words like these but i think there's a word here uh, and i think it's an important word maybe paul begins by saying something that that sort of seems logical right what shall we say then shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound or so that grace may increase Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? So, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, logically speaking, it does. I mean, 
if the more I sin, then it takes more grace to cover me, more mercy to cover me, more mercy to forgive me, right? And it's like, well, then God will be even more glorified because if I live that kind of life and God still forgives me, then woohoo, the blood of Jesus wins again, yay, even better. It kind of makes sense, right? We'll get into that in, in a few moments, but first, back in March of 2000, uh, a new single was released, and it quickly sort of rose to the, to the top of the charts. Uh, it was written by a woman who, um, who's really sort of known for her social commentary on the world. Uh, and uh, you could say that this song is sort of, a, it's sort of become a, an important anthem for my generation. Uh, and if we're really thinking about it, probably an important anthem for, for all generations. The song is entitled, Oops, I Did It Again. And it was, written, it was written by a woman named Britney Spears. So let me tell you the, some of the lyrics. It goes like this, Oops, I did it again. I played with your heart. Got lost in the game. Ooh, baby, baby. Oops, I did it again. So apparently, Britney Spears had this awful habit of sort of breaking some young dude's heart and feeling guilty about it. And she's like, I got to write a song about this. She kept waking up in the morning and realizing, oops, it did it, it, did it again. Okay. So it's probably not an anthem for my generation. Did I go a little too far with that? Did I string that out, Justine, Emily? Do, did that go a little? I feel like that went too far. I think you should have sang it. I should have, oh, I should have sang it. I think I, I should let people proofread my stuff. Anyway, um, but those lyrics, oops, I did it again. Like, you think about that. Like, there's a reason that song came to mind while reading this passage. Like, oops, I did it again. It's because we've all sung those lyrics. Like, that's a refrain that we all know, we all know well. We all know what it's like to wake up in the morning and go, oh man, I did it again. Right? And Paul is sort of in the process of trying to unpack that. He's trying to describe what this is like. And in a couple chapters later, in chapter 7, he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's the thing that I do. Oops, man, I did it again. I mean, we know what it's like to feel guilty. Waking up the next morning, realizing that the thing that we hate to do, well, that's the thing that we do, even though that we don't want to do it. Sometimes we feel lonely because certainly there's nobody else in the world who's going through what I'm going through, who's struggling what, with what I'm struggling with. I'm alone in all of this. Sometimes we get angry with ourselves, don't we? We wake up in the morning, we're like, man, I did it again. And we get angry with ourselves because we live in a world that tells us that we're supposed to have control over our own lives. And yet there's one area of our lives, or, or there's several different areas in our lives, or this one set of emotions that just keeps flooding back to us, and we just can't control it. We just can't do it. So these habits, these patterns of behavior, like we all have those things. Like you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So I'm not alone in this, you're not alone in this. And here's the deal. Sometimes we can get really fixated on some of these patterns of behavior 
And sometimes we can begin to convince ourselves that, you know what, they're really not all that bad. And we say, oops, I did it again, or man, I did it again, a lot less. And sometimes these things just sort of take over in our lives. In fact, some neuropsychologists believe that that's exactly what happened to the legendary World, One, World War I German flying ace, the Red Baron. He was in an accident, had a brain injury, and it caused a brain dysfunction that causes people to act in completely illogical ways. Even if they know that the path they're taking will lead to death. And that's exactly what happened. As a result of this brain dysfunction on April 21, 1918, he flew his famous red airplane into the middle of enemy territory and he was shot down by ground fire and air fire because he's like, I'm invincible. It's not a big deal. I can do this. I've done it before. We don't have to have a brain dysfunction to know what that's like. Sometimes we do that all the time. Harmful patterns of behavior. Like they have this ability to sort of, like, like, like they pop up in every different aspect, every different area of life, at home, at work, at, at play. Like, for instance, moms and dads who like get so fixated on providing for the family that because they want the latest stuff, they want to go to the best places on vacation, and want to keep up with neighbors and our children's friends, make sure our kids have what everybody else has, that we spend hours and hours and hours and hours at the office and sort of neglect to spend the most amount of time with our families as we possibly can. Or, or sometimes it's that, it's that person in the neighborhood who seems to know everything about everybody. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And for some reason, that anxiety of holding all of that information in themselves, it just, that anxiety gets to be too much and then turn into the neighborhood gossip, effectively destroying the kinds of relationships that, that they desire and crave the most. Right? Not to mention all sorts of other things. Like we could probably sit here and think about all sorts of other things. Alcohol, substance abuse, spousal, child abuse, verbal, physical, all kinds of, I mean, this list literally goes on and on and on and on. And these habits and harmful patterns of behavior, they sort of, sometimes they creep up on us. And we wake up in the morning and we think to ourselves, oh, I did it again. Or we lay down, put our head on the pillow at night and we're like, I did it again. I just can't can't get a hold of this thing. It happened again. All right, so what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we break? Sometimes it feels like it's this downward spiral that we're just caught in, and there's nothing we can do about it. How do we break it? How do we break these patterns that, that really, if we think about it, they eventually lead to some sort of death in our lives? Like, sometimes death of a relationship, sometimes death of multiple relationships, sometimes it feels like parts of our souls are dying off. See, Paul was aware of this, and, and he's sort of bent on helping us through it. So that we too may live a new life, he says. Those are his words. He said that. Look it up. It's right there. So that we too 
may live a new life. And maybe the first thing that we do is the thing that's, that's maybe the hardest, and yet it's the most simple and most obvious. Maybe the first thing we do is just name it, say it, get it out there. Like, not let it be locked up, but just say it, name it. It feels to me that that's what Paul is doing here. He says in verse 2, we died to sin, and yet how can we go on living it, living in it, acknowledging that, yeah, we kind of caught up in this thing. And then again, a little later on, he says, I don't understand what I'm doing. He's just naming it. Like, I don't do the thing that I want to do, but the thing that I hate, yeah, that's the thing that I do. He just names it. He says it. And I think that that, that might be the, one of the most important things that we can do. Right? It's important because as long as it's secret, as long as it's locked up inside of us, well, then it has power over us. And we often allow these things locked up inside of us to have power over us, to sort of manipulate us. But as soon as we name it, as soon as we say it, as soon as we get it out here, then it becomes something we now have power over. What once was in darkness now has come out into the light. Oh, there it is. Right? It's why at Alcoholics Anonymous, when you go to a meeting, you say, Hi, my name is Aaron. I'm an alcoholic. Right? You say it. You name it. You get it out there. You confess it. You talk about it. Paul names it. Right? He knows that even though we're Jesus people, we got some issues. We keep making a mess of things. So let's just name it. Let's say it. We still fall into harmful patterns of behavior that lead to some sort of death in our lives. And we begin to break that downward spiral by just acknowledging that by saying it, by naming it, by getting it. What do you need to name today? What is it? What do you need? It's okay. You can name it. You can say it. Get it out there. The second thing I think Paul is talking about here is to, to turn around to go in the opposite direction. Once you've named it, go the other way. That's what this, that's the next thing we do to break this spiral. That's what all this talk about death and resurrection, old, new life is really all about. Like being buried, resurrection, that's what it's all about. Being slaves to being free, it's opposite direction. I'm gonna read a, a section here for you. It goes like this, we'll start at verse three. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin, buried, raised, death to life, old, new, slave, free, 
complete reversal, a complete turnaround. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's intentional movement here. It's working in concert with Jesus to walk in the opposite direction. The old churchy word for it is repentance. That's what that means. Turn around. Go the other way. Every three or four months or so, uh, Renee and I uh, go through this thing called Whole30. Uh, you can Google it later if you want to know more about it. It's just a, a different way of, of eating, right? Here's the deal. We find ourselves just living life, right? And we just eat whatever we want, mostly because it's quick and it's convenient and it's easy. And everybody will eat the same thing because there's some things that kids just would rather not eat. And we got three of them and we're like, it's easier to just make one thing for everybody. Right? So we just find ourselves in the place where we just eat that which is quick and the easiest. Uh, and suddenly we get to this point in our lives where we look at each other and we're like, normally it's Renee who says it to me uh, because I won't because it's hard. She'll say, man, I think we should do Whole30 again. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we probably should. But here's what Whole30 is. It means we don't eat any sugar. We don't eat any carbs. We don't eat any grains. The list goes on and on. There's a whole bunch of rules. Basically, we, you can look them up later. Basically, we just eat fresh, unprocessed food. Translate that into lots of vegetables for 30 days in a row no cheating it's really hard it's really difficult to to break patterns of eating or any pattern of behavior for that matter but by the end of it oh my goodness we feel so good we feel better physically we feel better mentally we have loads more energy it's amazing why because we've decided to walk in the opposite direction we make a commitment to it we stick to it. And here's our hope. And every time we do it, we get a little bit better. But our hope is that we'll continue to learn how to eat healthy on a regular basis. So we don't have to keep having these spurts where we walk in the other direction. Because everyone, including Paul, knows that this is a whole process that we go through. Buried and raised. Death to life complete reversal, a complete turnaround, walking in the opposite direction, newness of life. That's what Paul is talking about here. It means we don't have to be slaves to the office. We can actually decide to walk in the opposite direction. Work hard when we need to, but spend some time with the ones we love the most. More of that. It means we don't have to be neighborhood gossips means we can turn that energy around into something else, like helping our neighbors, loving those who need it the most. It means you fill in the blank. What are some ways you need to turn around? If you named some things, hopefully, or at least you know what they are, how do you go in the opposite direction for a while? How do you do that? If we've been united like this in Christ's death, we will certainly be united with him in resurrection. He's not just talking after we die, y'all. It's a pattern now we can live into and the power of the Spirit animating us to help us make it happen. 
So he gives us a pattern here. Name it. Let's just talk about it. Let's be honest about it. Let's not hide it. Walk in the opposite direction. And here's the last thing I want to point out. Those two things can't be done in isolation. They have to be done within the context of community. This is a communal thing. We can't do it alone. We weren't made that way. So many times when we read Paul's letters, right, we, we do our best to read what he says and act like he's just talking to us as individuals. Like we have our personal devotion time and we think, oh, he's talking directly to me, but what does this mean? And we try our best to sort of individualize it. And we individualize everything. And we sometimes forget that there's almost always a communal aspect to anything we struggle with. There's almost always a social, communal aspect to what we struggle with. I mean, we're experiencing this right now. We're experiencing it right now with, like it's being given to us again. And it's been given to us again and again and again and again over the years. But this time, it seems like it's becoming a bigger thing. Like it's being named. We're recognizing that, that racism isn't just an individual thing with individual thoughts about people of a different race. It isn't about individual actions. Like there's a whole systemic thing going on here. Like there's a whole communal thing, social aspect to it. It's an underlying thing that infects not just individuals, but whole societies. And if we're going to get past it, it's got to be a communal thing. And we have to recognize that. Sometimes I think we forget that these letters weren't written to individuals. Most of the letters that Paul writes, they're written to whole communities, whole churches, and sometimes... They were probably read out loud within the context of worship. Like when Paul uses the pronoun you, it's almost always plural. He's talking to a community. And once you name it and you turn around, it's a communal thing. Let's walk together in the opposite direction. I'll tell you this right now. Whole 30, I ain't doing that by myself. Not going to happen. I could try. I will guarantee you I will fail. But we got a partner. I got a partner who's not going to let me fail. And I won't let her fail. And we'll go through this thing together. So if we're going to break these downward spirals, if we're going to turn around, we've got to do it together. It's got to be done within the context of community. It must be done together. We have so many things that we try to do all by ourselves. Don't go it alone. You don't have to go alone. You weren't made to go it alone. The other day, I think I was driving with Caleb. Now my memory, now I'm feeling like it might have been one of my other boys. I think it was Caleb. Caleb, tell me when I get home. I think it was Caleb. We were driving along. We saw on the back of a truck one of those, how am I driving stickers? You've seen these. There's like a 1-800 number, and then there's a reference number so you can let them know what kind of truck or what truck it is. And I joked with Caleb. I was like, I'm going to call that number. I'm going to be like, hey, the guy's driving great. He's, it's perfect. 
right? Because I guarantee you they never get calls like that. I don't even know how that works anyways. They're literally someone sitting on the other end of the line just waiting for people to call that number. I don't know, like is that their gig? No clue, I have no idea how that works, right? But why do they have those stickers on there? Why do they have that? So that the people driving those company vehicles recognize that, yeah man, people are looking, people are watching, people are noticing. I just thought about this. I now drive around in my van with a renewed community sticker on the back of it. I drive differently, right? Hopefully I drive, oh, drove okay before, but, but now I'm re representing a whole community, a whole group of people. There are cameras everywhere nowadays, right? In banks, in stores, in police vehicles, on their vests, all over the place. It seems like people are watching all the time. And everyone acts a little bit differently when we know there's an extra set of eyes on us. If you have a teenage driver, you can download an app on their phone that will track how fast they go, where it is they're going, and all of that stuff, and apparently it works. I'm just glad I didn't have that when I was a teenager. But all that stuff, the people who come up with these ideas, they're not dumb. Like, those are really smart ideas. They've recognized something about us people, about us human beings. They understand that if left on our own, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to change. But if we have an extra set of loving eyes on us, does something to us, we're not alone. We're in this together. That's why this community is so important. And that's why it's so important to have a small group of people with whom you can share your struggles. That's why it's so important to have those loving relationships with people so that when things get really hard, and they do get hard, they are now. We know we're not alone. So we all have a choice to make, really, as we think about our own lives. When we wake up in the morning thinking to ourselves, or when we put ourselves to bed at night, ah, oh, I did it again. We can just let that day be another day, and we can feel guilt about it, feel shame about it. Or we can say, you know what? I gotta name this got to put it out there. I got to turn around. I have to, I have to go in another direction for a while. And we can find someone who will struggle with us in our pain. Because that's one of the reasons why God gave us the church. That's why church is so important. That's why the people connected to a local community that we connect with a very long time, over a very long period of time so that we can form those deep relationships that last sometimes forever. God gave us the church, the called out ones, the gathered community. That's why God gave us that gift. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul's like, no, nah, man, that's ridiculous. That's the literal translation of by no means. No, nah, man, that's ridiculous. Paul says, by no means. Because we have a we have a grace that's greater than all of those things. We have a God and a community that will never let us go. will never leave us alone. Let's pray. God, thank you for...
for all the ways that you speak to us in your word. We ask God that as your spirit is speaking to us now that, that you would show us that you would show us those things that we would that you would give us the courage to name them and to not be afraid to to find somebody to walk with us through that pain in that struggle so that we can go in the opposite direction so that we can experience healing so that new life through your spirit is absolutely possible make it happen in our lives god we want to resist it but we ask that you would soften us up enough so that real change can happen by the power of Jesus and his resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.